switch to David. Welcome back to Mark's Madness. And then I get the woos going. Woo, we're collaborating again, gang. Uh, this is a little... All right, first ever for Mark's Madness. One of the Mark's Madness hosts isn't here. Uh, but thank you. So like, uh, been- <laughs> in our last episode we released, I said... I'm just going to take David's name. I took his job. He took the whole thing. He took, <laughs> took this man's family. Uh, I mean, it just straight up obliterated. Uh, no, David is having uh, technical difficulties this week. Um, and, but since there is a uh, three-person collaboration going on right now, it kind of made sense that we could just continue with two. So we're going to be down one person. David will be here in spirit. Uh, you won't be getting a disclaimer this week because uh, I'm I'm not capable of doing the disclaimer. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I've we'll, listened to it enough that I could try. We'll, but the like, we'll get to, we'll to get it more than me. I, I'm not even caught up. You've been in every episode. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not even caught up. So like I'm like uh, I'm not sure what's going on. Um, <laughs> when did the disclaimer start? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Later than they should have. Um, that being said, no, for sure. We are, but I, we are going to uh, get started with some current events uh, that have been. Well, they're not as current right now, but they're they're still events that are happening that have happened that we are going to talk about as we are want to do. Um, and then we are going to launch into something a little different. We are going to be doing a kind of mid book detour for context so like we normally have our context episodes at the beginning there is a very important piece of context that came up uh in light of the discussion of the pick sloan act in the last episode that kind of the 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 red deal kind of just assumes you know uh but since i didn't know uh shigmati too is being uh kind enough to give us some really good context from another work so we're going to kind of do be doing a work within a work here call it an extended footnote if you will uh, but that is what we will be launching into when we are done with current events. But bef- without further ado, Shikmati 2, the Pope did a thing. Yeah, no, I, extended footnote is probably the best way to talk about it. Basically, the Pick Sloan Act, I gave a very rough outline, but I think it's really important to actually talk about it because it, 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 it's a lot. There's a lot interconnected to it and interwoven into the history of it. Including, you know, Lewis and Clark's expedition and stuff like that. Water rights, you know, you have indigenous land rights as well as civil rights being infractured on. Senseless murder of people um, for, you know, uh, public works projects that only benefits white communities. You know, there's a lot that goes into it, so I think it's really important to talk about it as well as go in a little bit in depth. Um... With the recent news, yes, of the of what uh, in Indian country is kind of dubbed Popahantis. <laughs> Look, it's a solid bird. It's a solid bird. Am I going to say it's top tier? No, I mean we're taking some no, low hanging fruit, no. here, but damn it, it's it's solid. It gets the job done. Yeah, so the episode's going to open up on uh, talking about this Popahantis scandal where. Um, the communist, I'm going to go, the communist, Pope Francis wore a headdress while apologizing for the treatment of indigenous kids in residential and boarding schools. Um, in traditional Cree land, um, prepare for me to fuck this one up. 
<laughs> M- Makawachis. I pronounced it like it'd be Lakota because of their plains people, but I don't fucking know. Anyway, <laughs> Alberta. Uh, they estimate 150,000 children went through Canada's system alone. But if the records are anything like ours in the United States, uh, they're incomplete records for one reason or another. Like, uh, maybe they got burned, or maybe they, you know, mysteriously just vanished some of these documents into maybe an archive or something. For an auto- I don't know why you would hide the deaths of children. Anyway, why do you hide the bodies? But, um... <laughs> this episode is kind of meant to provide like a nece- necessary historical context to the material conditions being addressed in the Red Deal. I'm sorry if you can hear my baby. Um, he's been really grumpy all day, and we were trying to get him <laughs> better, but uh, never apologize for. He wanted to guest a- star, I guess. I don't know exactly. Never apologize for getting that early cameo. You got to get that brand started early. <laughs> well, yeah. So I've recorded his cries to play. Um, uh, Pedro Crowdog and my uh, audio documentary when he's first born and during the Wounded Knee occupation. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> I wanted to record his first breaths of life, but he literally did not make a sound for, like, ever till we brought him home. I was like, okay. <laughs> You're just trying Weird. to fuck with me now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, are you, like, mute? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> um, but anyway, so, uh, like, Ultimately, these conditions affect everyone's lives in ways um, a lot of you would be revolutionaries, don't or are revolutionaries, depending on what you're already doing. You know, it depends on what phase you are in your theory, praxis, dialectic. But um, you know, they don't fully understand how history has kind of evolved here because we've we're fed a mythology in public schools. And so it's very hard to disconnect yourself from misconceptions people have of indigenous history because if enough people cite the wrong thing, it becomes truth. Mm-hmm. So repeat a lie long enough, repeat a lie long enough, and it just gets accepted. No, this is a different version of that. That's totally different, and not at all the inspiration for what they're doing. Nope. but no but the thing is is as we'll come to find out is they're grotesquely open about it for a very long time and the masquerading of it has really become um more of a thing as liberal democracy has allowed actual wins for workers i guess you know what i mean And, and then like you start to have like the civil rights movement and then the indigenous voice finally gets heard even though they had been fighting for their own rights for so... Well, we had been fighting for our own rights for so long, but, like, people back then is what I'm talking about. And then you also have these people that, um, you know, they... um, They're also fighting for environmental justice, recognizing what's going to happen. Because, you know, like, long time ago, we learned if you over-forest, it turns out bad. You know, like... I, 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 it's old. It's stuff we did at long ago and figured out and passed on that knowledge for millennia, you know. And so, like, I mean, it probably comes from our times on islands learning, you know, how delicate ecosystems are. You know what I mean? Like, there's a bunch of different ways we could have learned this, you know, while coming over to the, you know, North American continent. However, that happened, but um, 
It wasn't across a land bridge. Look into that. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's not true. Please learn past seventh grade fucking history. History. <laughs> Historiography. Learn what that word is if you don't know what it is. Okay, but anyway, um, we're talking about the Pope, and I, I referenced him in the Alex Jones voice as a communist, uh, because um, he has a progressive streak, right? Like, he's like, oh yeah, gays are welcome. He even said, like, if aliens exist, they're welcome too. <laughs> that was awesome. Because, <laughs> of course, like, the ufology community is like, that's proof aliens exist. The Vatican knows. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's so good. I love conspiracy theorists. They're so awesome. But um, this um, streak kind of is like loathsome to conservative Catholics, right? And as a lot of them are like crypto fascists that would have st- supported, you know, Frank Franco's regime in Spain. Um, <laughs> but it wouldn't be surprise me that this Pope bringing uh, is bringing God's wrath to the radical crypto crypto fascists, right? Like. Uh, you know, he, he's ruining their their thing, right? That they've used to, like, enact harm for so long, and now he's making it okay to not enact harm on certain communities. You know, he's mm-hmm. de-institutionalizing certain hates. So it's like, they're mad that they can't hate as many people? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> fascists are weird. But anyway, despite this milquetoast apology, um, it beat out Elizabeth Warren's apology letter to the Cherokee Nation where she said I don't care if you forgive me what an apology that's a solid <laughs> that, that, that got weirdly hostile for an apology I didn't I didn't realize you could do that no that's at the very she, not even at the it's like page two maybe or like within the first few paragraphs at least of page one like towards the bottom but um she's like I don't care if you forgive me but this is what I'm going to do to make it up to you. And they're like, oh, none of the things we said to you in our letter? Cool. <laughs> That's cool. But anyway, you know, as we know, um, in Bolivia, their church uh, actually canonized... Well, maybe you don't know this. But uh, one of the only differences between the Bolivian church and the rest of the Catholic church is that they canonized Che Guevara as a saint, right? Oh, um, fuck Yeah. Yeah, awesome, right? Uh, Francis was even given an idol of Jesus crucified on a cross made of the hammer and sickle by Evo Morales' administration. Like, Evo handed it to him. I don't know who made it specifically. Hell um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, super awesome. That's why he gets called a communist pope, though, to be. But um, this doesn't really counterreact um, the Catholic Church's role in colonialism, right? Um, and it's really a good time to talk about the doctrine of discovery, which is really the historical pretense for a lot of everything you guys have actually been covering in the last few books, even neocolonialism, um, blood in my eye, going back to even, um, you know, France, you know, the doctrine of discovery is the international law that sets precedent for how Europeans govern themselves to colonize the rest of the world. Right. Um, but mostly, it's so they can target pagans and so-called savages and those that are not of the Christian faith, you know. It makes it okay to attack people that might be civilized, but not in the way you want, right? Because they're not Christian, 
you know, they're not conforming to a church doctrine that's like, give us all your land, property, and wealth, um, so you can go to heaven. Huh? Mmm. Oh, fun. Yeah. So Pope Nicholas V proclaimed in uh, 1452, only 40 years prior to Columbus sailing the ocean blue, the infamous doctrine of discovery as a way to create some semblance of an international league uh, besides uh, the Catholic Church League um, meant only for the Christians of Europe. This included all Christians, even the foreignists eventually. Um, this is followed by several expansions uh, to the Portuguese right to conquer non-European people. And then the next event would be Columbus going to the so-called New World and committing crimes against humanity, eventually even being condemned by the Inquisition at one point. Um, in 1494, rules were made and broken for Spain's right to the lands discovered by Columbus. This resulted in the negotiations of the Treaty of Tordesillas. Tor- Tordesillas? I think it's Tordesillas, but I'm, I don't speak Spanish. I, I don't either, so don't, don't look at this corner. Yeah, so this resulted in the negotiation. Oh, wait, well, this uh, you know treaty kind of resulted in like the divided of the unknown world between the Iberians, which obviously wasn't very cool to, you know, the Anglo-Saxons and the Franks because they obviously considered themselves better than those, you know, once Muslims. You know, like, that was kind of the racial animosity inside uh, the country. So you would have, you know, uh, French popes um, deny this, you know, or like an Italian pope because they basically are like, well, Spain and Portugal shouldn't have complete claims over the rest of the world. You know, fair. I think as long as we're talking about like two colonists, yeah, I'd rather have many colonists than two. You know what I mean? Could you imagine like Spain and like just imagine all the world either speaking Portuguese or Spanish? You know what I mean? Like that's just weird timeline. Weird, weird, fun, fun. More siestas. I'd be down with that. That, that, You know, I would take that. And well, that's a good point. I didn't consider that. You got uh, there, there's pros and cons. There's pros, pros and cons. And con. Well, this is like uh, I, I think at the Discord server, I was catching up with what your audience was saying about the new episode. It was like Coralis or something. It was like, uh, uh, no, it was somebody was replying to Coralis and um, said, "Well, you know, colonialism gave us Doritos, so checkmate." <laughs> And then Coralis was like, well, yeah, without corn cultivation, you know, by the indigenous people for millennia, we would never have had Doritos. And I'm like, dialectics. (laughs) (laughs) Doritos, Doritos the the dialectics of Doritos. It's going to get us there. You ever been to a powwow? There's plenty of Doritos sitting around. (laughs) (laughs) But um, Pope Julius II uh, ignored, uh, would be ignored. Well, okay, so Pope Julius II ratifies uh, this doctrine of discovery, right? He's the one who says it. And then uh, Popes Leo X, Clement VII. Where do they give these names? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Would gladly uphold the doctrine of discovery uh, even after England's reformation. Um, So, like, uh, to get divorced? Isn't that why that happened? But um, <laughs> the last update to the doctrine's outcome and legacies would be Pope Paul III's bull, Solimus 
dais, which would forbid indigenous enslavement and argue in favor of our freedom and right to private property, specifically not our communal right to property. Um, this progress, right, the idea that we could hold stuff in private, you know, if we worked hard enough, um, was the result of the free market and how indigenous people would escape if kept near their homelands and would get sick and die if brought to Europe. Um, so it wasn't really a profitable, you know, margin for them. It was better to take a different group of slaves, and that's why it would be black people who became dominantly slaves in America instead of indigenous people, in case you ever wondered. You know? Um, that We just... they kept getting us sick because they're dirty bastards. Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, it would be in 1792 that Thomas Jefferson would argue that the doctrine of discovery was actually international law and an argument held up by the Supreme Court justices such as John Marshall in the Johnson v. Mintosh decision, which ruled private citizens can't buy uh, indigenous land. Um, And he said... Here's a little paraphrasing. Um, not really paraphrasing, but like some ellipses were used. Um, on the discovery of this immense continent, the great nations of Europe, ellipses, as they were all in pursuit of nearly the same object, it was necessary in order to avoid conflicting settlements and consequent, consequent wars with each other to establish a principle which all should acknowledge as the law by which the right of acquisition, which they all asserted, should be regulated as between themselves. This principle was that should discovery gave title to the government by whose subjects or by whose authority it was made against all other European governments, ellipses. It's just weird logic. Like, oh, well, as long as they've gone over there and made their authority against Europe, that's fine, right? Doesn't matter what the indigenous people think, obviously. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's a given. <laughs> Let's see, uh, ellipses though. The history of America from its discovery to the present day proves, we think, the universal recognition of these principles, i.e., the principles of the doctrine of discovery and Europeans' right to dictate the rules of acquisition by Europeans, obviously. Um, but to make matters worse, none of this goes in... Oh, wait, wait, wait. In 2005, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg would even write the majority opinion on the City versus Cheryl, uh, well, City of Cheryl versus Oneida Indian Nation of New York, which holds the ruling uh, repurchase ancestral lands does not restore sovereignty to those lands. This isn't wrong. That's the thing. Okay, in a in a liberal society, that isn't land back. It doesn't restore sovereignty, and it does not solve the issue. Okay, so it might be a solution, so to say, but it's a liberal one. Whereas uh, reforming land ownership into collective ownership would be the decolonial or the land back, like the actual revolutionary land back, instead of some liberal co-optation of the terminology. We shouldn't have to pay for the land that is already ours. You know what I mean? It's well, just occupied. Yeah. It seems we like should a pretty be, baseline assumption. We should get paid, if not also the lands. You know? Or I would prefer the lands 
and also getting paid. But you can stay here instead, and we can call that even once we get the la- control of the land back and establish communal control over it. So you'll have control over it still, but you'll have to let everybody else have control too. Isn't that fun? So when like patriotic socialists like Lambach's, you know, just installing a new bourgeoisie, that's assuming that indigenous people want what white people want, and that's not the case. All right. I anyway. am shocked that the patriotic socialists have made an error. This is my shocked well, I, face. The problem is, is it's definitely not something only they say. But as soon as you say it to me, you're being lumped in with them. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that's that ideology. It's it, it's literally reverse annihilation theory, but in Marxist words, we're going to become the new bourgeoisie. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> that's literally reverse annihilation theory. I mean, no other way to put that. But uh, this isn't wrong, and is why repurchasing the land would be you know the liberal solution. Um, the problem here is Cheryl is traveling, you know, and. The Supreme Court upholding that would remove their own jurisdiction if national sovereignty was upheld for the Haudenosaunee. They were supposed to be their own nation with their own original travel systems, according to their their treaty. And that treaty was broken. So, here they are. Uh, They were even supposed to have free passage over Canada, like unhindered passage over the Canadian-U.S. border. But they're one of the reservations that now sit uh, cut in half by colonial, well, imperial borders. Yeah. Um, And to make matters worse, none of this goes into the specifics of the Christian European crusade to colonize. You know, missionary work has always been the engine to drive well-meaning people convinced of Christian superiority, which is really just white supremacy, who want to save the souls of our people, who they kindly mutilate, murder, and molest, and imprison, to come to our reservations to help us. Aren't they so nice? Um, I mean, kind. Just uh, uh, benevolent, I would say. Yeah, honestly, like, you, the only person I think is better is, um, you know, perhaps the, uh, you know, former president of the United States, Donald Trump. Real kind. Real kind person. Anyway, um, at least according to this definition of Christianity, you know, he fits the the perfect definition, really. Um, You know, kidnapping children, you know, throwing them in facilities that institutionalize them in grotesque ways. And, yeah, anyway, the history sort of sets the precedent behind um, this pamphlet. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I I, I skipped a page, I think. (laughs) No, no, no. No, 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 we're good. Yeah. But um, this history sort of sets the precedent behind uh, this pamphlet that got um, Christian missions ousted, quote-unquote, from Native News Online today, uh, on my reservation Pine Ridge. And um, this temporary decision to halt... uh, This also came with a temporary decision to halt all activities of non-Indigenous churches on the reservation as well. But that was reversed today. Um, now they're doing like specific investigations into specific accusations and stuff like that. Um, but the pamphlet was a bright yellow with this the highest degree of the Microsoft Suite sophisticated art tools. Um, you know, MS Paint, Microsoft Word, 
it, they broke out the works. Um, <laughs> at, at the very least, it was actually professionally printed, though. You know, like, good paper. You, clearly, they had, like, a press that made it centered and stuff like that. They probably had, like, a bunch and cut it with, like, a super scissor or whatever. But anyway, uh, it read, Jesus, Hebrew, not white. <laughs> True God, greater than Tonkashila, and Tonkashila is our name for what we call the Great Mystery. Um, it means grandfather, so it's often uh, misinterpreted as like a godlike figure because of the way Christians conceptualize God. Um, very wrong to conceptualize Tonkashila that way, but um, they call Tonkashila Demon Idol in all capitals. <laughs> Woof! Continued. Woof. There's a white cross in the middle to the right, oh, and an orange oval imposed over the cross, That's which good. says, "Warning: Truth reveals evil hearts. Please suppress any hatred or violence you may feel. Be kind." So they're preemptively telling you, "Please don't be pissed at us." You know. <laughs> We know we just did something super racist. Um, to the left, the cross says, It's not about race, though! It's not! It's not, <laughs> it's not about race in all caps and underline, but truth, all caps and underline. So if you remember, truth reveals evil hearts. So the implication here is uh, a little weird. <laughs> to say little, the least. little strange. Um, but anyway, following is a series of questions. The last one being highlighted in red. What did Russell Means, Crodon, and Black Elk believe? What helped lead to the Wounded Knee Massacre? Learn why Jesus is what? the one true God of Native Americans. I'm like, what not? I need to read the inside of one of these pamphlets because I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I must know like, what's going on in there. What? What was the answer in there? I, w I really want to read it, you know what I mean? How stupid were they? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, our president, Kevin Killer, which... What a killer name. Anyway. I mean, uh, just, demanded just that Jesus... Good. Right? Yeah. No, I mean, like, there's, there's like, people named, like, Kills Straight, or uh, Kills, Kills Wasichu, the fat taker. That's our name for white people. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you know, like, there's a bunch of badass names. Oh, my God. It's so good. Um, anyway, uh, they demanded that Jesus is king, uh, mission, leave the reservation immediately, which was the ones that handed out the, you know, obscenely racist flyer. And now is open investigations into others, like the Dream Center. Uh, the church is known for coming, like the churches in general are known for coming to the reservation to save our souls by offering us conditional aid. You could have food and be saved or be damned to hell and find food elsewhere today. I believe the metaphor is lost on them because of their literal interpretation of the Bible and world. That is, to have your material needs met is heaven on earth to the poor. Being denied food in a food desert means to starve, suffer, to not have your material needs met or at least not in full, is to be in hell. To the middle-class missionary, these are ethereal concepts they can't grasp due to self-imposed alienation, or more likely, generational indoctrination. This, of course, only skims the problem of modern Christian-Indigenous relations. But, 
I mean, yeah, there's some good Christians. Whatever. Um, the problem is, is that if you give tithe to a church, you're probably funding these things. Unfortunately, exactly. That's that's the thing is you don't you're not exactly making budgetary decisions for these organizations. You're if you're you want to give tithe, oversight. give it to the people who are in Dio, in with God. Mm-hmm. All right, reparations. You know, I'm just saying. The church should be paying it, so your tithe should be coming to us. You could pay it to me directly. I'm just saying, I need the money. But, <laughs> links in the Twitter, <laughs> links, links in the description, links in the description. Okay, I, I'm starting a church, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's common to, common for predator priests to run reservation based churches. Uh, there's even an entire sanctuary uh, um, for them, uncomfortably close to Epstein's Zorro Ranch, which through Landback, we have a legal argument to claim before a revolution even happens. We could go stage a protest and say that it's native land and should be returned uh, because of the atrocities that happened there. Uh, right now. You know? Not that we should, but we could. You know what I mean? Anyway, or I don't know how that legal battle happens, but, you know, it definitely starts with a protest. <clears throat> so this tradition goes back to uh, Cortez and Columbus, actually. You know, our first missionaries, really. And uh, who, of course, were child predators as well. Uh, murderers, imbeciles, and uh, more words that we can spend a lot of time on uh, when we should have just said monsters to begin with. You know, the boarding and residential schools continued this divine right, quote-unquote, according to Manifest Destiny, by kidnapping, beating, sexually assaulting, and consequently impregnating a lot of the girls. Um, Because, again, they're pedophiles being put in charge of a bunch of children. Seems like a poor decision. No, it's a purposeful one. That's the horrible part. It hides them away from white society, keeps them within the church, and fucking... um, is psychological warfare kind of it's a horrible horrible way to get a population to submit Uh, but it turns out that the church thinks that indian sovereignty at least means that they're allowed to abort the fetus and kill the children so long as it's um you know uh To civilize us, I guess. Um, and they hid the evidence, you know. Um, my elders talk about the ghosts in the Pine Ridge boarding school. Uh, there were three incinerators in the basement that weren't on these days. But speculation being, that's where uh, some of the babies were deposited. Um, and some of the children's bodies that were small enough. You know, and uh, yeah, where a lot of records probably went missing, and incinerators are pretty common in boarding schools, and so are the bodies outside those boarding schools. So they're not even incinerating all the bodies. You know what I mean? And then you have you know the tuberculosis wards, which you know primarily affect indigenous communities. Uh, because we have no health care, but uh, especially at that time. Um, but like my aunt, 
who's uh, 42, was locked in the basement overnight as punishment. Uh, and, like, a lot of kids, you know, would even be beaten, some to death, for uh, speaking or singing our own language. You know? I'll stop there, because uh, this history is really disgusting and depraved and depressing. Uh, but exists, yet these racist missionaries claim we worship demons. And they do this with no apology. Besides, oh, bad, I'm sorry that some of them did these things. You know? Um, so if my people are in hell, then send me there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, because, to paraphrase Hatue uh, Taino, who said, do Christians go to heaven? And when he was told, well, of course. Well, I would prefer to go to hell. He was then subsequently burned at the stake on what is today Cuba. God. So, you know, this is like the history that is approaching this concept, but this man was honored with a headdress. Yet, where is their answer for the crimes against humanity, really? You know what I mean? I mean, these are obscene acts that I mean the Nazis were barely capable of the Nazis yeah. did some pretty messed up s- stuff but I, I I mean besides the Hitler youth camps you know there wasn't a lot of like churches did, putting their pedophile priests in like hideaways on reservations you know in Germany I'm hope I would hope I don't know. I just, you know, like looking at how bad the U.S. is, I was just like, man, I'm kind of glad that Hitler was like, okay, well, we're going to do it a little less horribly. You know what I mean? Like, they used our babies as skeets, the 7th Cavalry did. Target practice, they threw them in the air. But th- this is only, you know, one part of you know, colonialism, especially more recent history, you know, the boarding schools and stuff like that. You're talking mid-18th century and on, you know. Uh, Mid-1800s and on. Um, Yeah, because mid-18th century would be like 1700s, right? But, uh, which technically isn't wrong, I guess. But, uh, we'll we'll count, like, the era we're talking about as far as, like, boarding schools and stuff. Um, that's all like the terror, like the reorganization era. Um, the babies as skeets would be like, um, the closing of the frontier. Um, that, they at least did that to my people. I hope it didn't happen to others. But, um, so we're going to go on to our history of the future, yes, which is going to is, talk about, yes. um, uh, never mind. Go ahead. Well, I guess, so this is, you know, this is Nick Estes's, um kind of, like, breakout work. I don't know. It made Mark Luff- Ruffalo follow him. But, uh, <laughs> Nick was at, uh, protests, like, uh, like, uh, the DAPL protests and stuff, uh, working with his, like, a- aunties and stuff that were, like, former Amsters and, 
you know, like the Ochete Shaco, there was just, you know, like if you're Lakota, you made your way out there at least for a day. You know what I mean? It was, it was happening. You know, <laughs> like at, at, at one point it was the largest uh, population center in North Dakota. So, <laughs> you know, that's pretty crazy to think that there's that many tents, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, this is going to help us and it uh, is foundational to understand the development of water protectors and showcases perfectly as to why indigenous activates have been on the front lines of protecting life and saving the planet. I wish that was hyperbolic. Um, but seriously, we need to protect the environment and shut down pipelines. It, it's like today, like that needs to happen today. It needs yeah. to happen like 2,000 years ago. But anyway... Um, like somebody should invent the time machine and go back and be like, don't do that. But um, it is important to me that settlers understand what projects like uh, the Pick Sloan plan do to just indigenous people. Not just indigenous people, I mean. But animals, ecosystems uh, that are decimated by dams and other public works projects that, um, you know, fundamentally destroyed a lot of life that you know we might never see you know we might not even know what we lost because of how much the world has changed since being invaded um i don't think people realize just how much uh plant life around them in their towns is not indigenous you know what i mean like like i said kentucky bluegrass shouldn't be everywhere um but this is chapter four of our history is the future. Um, is there anything you wanted to say before we begin, Nate? Okay, so yeah, I I would really say that this is the again the context to what we had just read previously. Um, this is kind of the the background information that anyone needs to understand why Pixlone is a big deal um, and why why you know it's referenced so so obviously in in the Red Deal. Um, but Zaccato, uh, take it away. And when our land is gone, our way of life is gone, our tribes are destroyed. The bottom lands the Corps of Engineers wants to take are the very best on the reservations. They are our heartlands. They can never be replaced. No similar lands are for sale. We depend on land for our livelihood. It furnishes us our income. To take our land is to take our homes and income and a part of our history and heritage. J.W. Jiggs Thompson, U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Public Works, Washington, D.C., 1959. After Wounded Knee, a spectacular armed struggle would not come again until the 1970s. In the meantime, nevertheless, the fight for land, life, and self-determination continued. Over the course of the mid-20th century, the United States increasingly used its powers to em- uh, of eminent domain to seize indigenous lands for large public works projects, especially for Army Corps of Engineer dams. For the Ochete Shakuin along the Missouri River, dispossession through eminent domain emerged in the form of floods and dams. The Pick Sloan Plan, a joint water development project designed by the Army Corps of Engineers and the Bureau of Reclamation in 1944, with the input of Missouri River states, called for the construction of large multi-purpose earthen rolled dams for flood-controlled reclamation and irrigation that, as it uh, as its promoters claim, promised to make otherwise arid grasslands bloom. 
Four of the five picked slow dams flooded seven Missouri River, Lakota, uh, and Dakota reservations, Santee, Yankton, Rosebud, Lower Brule, Crow Creek, Cheyenne River, and Standing Rock. But unlike the previous century, when indigenous land was converted uh, for its endless bounty, for the Pig Sloan plan in the 20th century, indigenous land was desired merely so that it could be wasted, covered with water. All of the risks and none of the rewards of cheap hydroelectricity and irrigation were imposed on generations of indigenous people who depended upon their relations to the land and water for life. And floodwaters provided the physical means to terminate indigenous nations and relocate people, a violent severing of those relations to end the Indian people once and for all. The Pixlone dams were a 20th century indigenous apocalypse, inflicting an immeasurable amount of loss that is still experienced today. When the river trade increased violence in the 19th century, the Ochete Chacholin escaped invasion by following the buffalo onto the plains. When the U.S. Army annihilated the buffalo, the survivors were forced onto reservations, where they found refuge once again in the lush river bottomlands where food and game abounded. Subsistence agriculture flourished, and fresh water was plenty. When the reservation cattle boom came in the early 20th century, river bottomlands provided shelter for livestock and prime ranch land for small-scale native-owned cattle enterprises. A mixed economy consisted of subsistence hunting and gathering, along with small-scale agriculture and small-scale uh, reservation cattle enterprises. Virtually all reservation timber was concentrated along shoreland, providing the necessary materials for home construction, shelter, and fuel for heating and cooking that could not be produced by the sale of livestock and re- was replaced with the harvest of wild game, fruits, and v- vegetables that flourished in the river valley. Those less fortunate avoided starvation in winter months, when employment was scarce, though total dependence on the free goods of nature that the... uh, Wait, what? Those less fortunate avoided starvation in winter months, when employment was scarce, though total dependence on the free goods of nature that the river provided. So, like, they got a lot of fish and stuff. But anyway... All of this was destroyed by the Pixlone pen, setting the stage for the uh, hashtag NoDAPL movement half a century later. The Army Corps' uh, discretion to plot the path of the Kokoda Access Pipeline in 2014 rested on a power they assumed under the Pick Sloan Plan, following which the Army Corps have continually asserted that never have been officially granted jurisdiction over the Missouri River flowing through Ochete Shakoin reservations. This was a direct violation of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty, which delineated treaty territory as encompassing the entire channel of the river flowing through it, including the eastern shoreline. According to U.S. law, only Congress had the power to alter treaty boundaries or extinguish indigenous jurisdiction, uh, and the Pick Sloan Plan authorized the Army Corps to do neither. It merely authorized them to build dams on the reservations. However, the assertion of jurisdiction didn't just happen with the stroke of a pen. Rather, it arrived as a wall of water brought on by the dams, extinguishing life in indigenous jurisdiction along with it. And because reservations' life had imposed starvation conditions on the Ochete Shekouin in the earlier half of the 20th century, by the mid-20th century, when the Pixlone dams were built, it was hard to assemble a formidable resistance against the Army Corps and its allied federal agencies. The results were nothing short of genocide. By destroying the land and with it the plants, animals, and water, the dams targeted and destroyed the very nations of people who re- reproduced themselves upon the soil. In this way, taking land and water also took away the possibility of a viable future. 
Pig Sloan also dovetailed with federal policies of termination and relocation, which liquidated federally recognized indigenous nations and removed people from the reservations to far-off urban centers. In 1953, Congress passed House Concurrent Resolution 108, which called for the immediate termination of the Flathead, Klamath, Menominee, Potawatomi, and Turtle Mountain Chippewa tribes. Uh, opening millions of acres of indigenous lands for privatization. The bill adopted a previous logic. Only through the destruction of indigenous nations could they be freed from federal supervision and control from all disabilities and limitations. That same year, Public Law 280 authorized states to assume criminal and civil jurisdiction over native lands. Together, the bills promised to end federal trust protections and transfer payments guaranteed by treaties and agreements, extinguishing what little indigenous political authority remained after close to a century of genocidal policies. In tandem with this termination legislation, the Bureau of Indian Affairs began bussing natives off reservations to cities like San Francisco, Denver, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Cleveland as part of the Federal Relocation Program. Between the 1950s and 1960s, an estimated 750,000 Native people moved off reservation. Termination, in the words of Edward Valandra, made legal the overthrow of Native governments, the stealing of their lands, and the extermination of Native peoples and cultures. Termination marked a dramatic shift in policy from the gains made during the Indian New Deal, which, despite its flaws, had ushered in a new era of tribal self-determination under the 1935 Indian Reorganization Act, or IRA. The dramatic reforms overhauled years of collective punishment that the Indian Bureau had inflicted on whole nations held captive on reservations. The year of the Wounded Knee Massacre, the U.S. Census concluded that the Western frontier has officially closed. With it, the centuries of war, famine, disease, and genocidal policy brought the American Indian population to its lowest point in the history of North America's settler colonialism. In 1928, in response to American Indian activist demands, an extensive study, The Problem of Indian Administration, also known as the Merriam Report, found the Indian Bureau incompetent, corrupt, and murderous. Among its most egregious acts was mass starvation across reservations, as what little land remained for natives to eke out a living was sold off to white settlers, and because of the disastrous Dawes Act between 1887 and 1932 allotment and the surplus land sold to white, the quote-unquote surplus land sold to whites, devoured 91 million acres of indigenous lands, leaving 48 million acres for reservations. In order to limit the number of individual American Indians who could receive an allotment and become landlord owners, a racist federal competency commission issued patents based on racial mixture disallowing full bloods from becoming private owners and instead keeping their lands in trusts. This created a conflict between the landless mixed bloods and full bloods who kept allotments because they were deemed too incompetent to sell them to whites. Oklahoma tribes were hardest hit, for instance. The Osage lost 70% of their allotted lands during the oil boom of the 1920s. By contrast, the Otete Shakoween only lost 30% of their allotted lands. Overall among them, Rosebud and Lower Brule experienced the greatest hit, losing 40% of their allotted lands. So, for uh, a little bit of clearance, I believe Alberta is 140 million acres altogether. Uh, the Catholic Church owns more land than that. Um... And we used to have a lot more land than that. Uh, 200 million acres were taken um, 
at another point in this, uh, like, uh, I'd have to look that one up. But, overall, lots of land being lost. The IRA provided a temporary reprieve to the onslaught by making three important reforms. First, it ended the uh, catastrophic allotment policy. Second, it ended the draconian prohibition on dancing, improved indigenous freedom of religion and speech, improved the reservation criminal justice system, and provided monies for land re- uh, reacquisition and economic development. Lastly, it imposed Western-style governance through a BIA model constitution, which required reservations to adopt a constitution based on the U.S. Constitution and pledge fealty to the United States. The last point was the most contentious. While indigenous peoples desired increased political autonomy, they didn't want to replace existing governments based on consensus and kinship with colonial institutions. They also feared that competitive Western-style electoral systems would further intensify political factionalism and create a class of reservation elites whose allegiance lay not with community councils, but in an external authority, the U.S. government, and whose political power would be kept in check by the BIA and the Department of Interior. Uh, that would happen. <laughs> in fact, the IRA's primary architect, Commissioner of Indian Affairs John Collier, says that uh, says the IRA uh, was as sees the IRA as part of a global design of colonial administration. Collier drew inspiration from Lord Lugord's early 20th century model for British colonial administration. Under this system, national independence was prevented through its permanent suspension. In 1947, Collier even compared the U.S. colonial administration of indigenous peoples to its imperial annexation and colonial manage of the Philippines, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Alaska, and Pacific Islands, the Panama Canal, and the Virgin Islands. The IRA was a New Deal program, but it was also part of a global imperialism. The view the Indian policy is only domestic policy fails uh, take this fact seriously and normalizes colonialism by reproducing the notion that indigenous peoples are domestic U.S. subjects. Indian affairs were thus removed from the realm of international relations, from treaty-making and diplomacy, and regulated to domestic territorial rule, a process that should be challenged rather than reproduced. National independence for colonized peoples was never the goal for the U.S. imperial endeavors. Nevertheless, the IRA lifted the Ochete Shekawing from absolute deprivation to mere poverty, and this is the best time the reservation had. As Standing Rock Rouge scholar, the activist Diane... Uh, Vine Deloria Jr. observed and for all its flaws the IRA enshrined certain principles of self-government for indigenous peoples and provided them with a federally recognized government not all reservations accepted the IRA but those that did possessed a distinct advantage in years to come for example the Standing Rock Cheyenne River Lower Brule and Crow Creek reservations created IRA tribal councils whereas the Yankton reservation adopted the IRA but never formally adopted a model constitution or tribal council with no federally recognized government, the Yankton Reservation and its trustee, the Secretary of the Interior, were completely bypassed by the Army Corps, which proceeded to seize native properties by right of eminent domain in order to construct the Fort Randall Dam. Yankton Reservation members had little to no recourse in the end. While IRA governments were deeply flawed, without them, the Ochete Shakawain would have been able to negotiate Army Corps damages, nor to ultimately resist termination. But it was a false choice to begin with. Adopt the colonizer's model fully, accept quote-unquote self-determination with the permanent tutelage, or perish. 
During this era, treaties were broken by statue rather than the brute force in the Missouri River Basin. The Pixlone Plan destroyed more indigenous lands than any other public works projects in U.S. history, affecting 23 different reservation communities. The project writes Deloria was without a doubt the single most destructive act ever perpetuated on any tribe by the United States. The land taken and destroyed was the best land on the reservation. River bottom lands that were heavily wooded on otherwise treeless plains and full of wildlife and plants, including animals on which many indigenous people still depended for sustenance. A third of the residents of Standing Rock, Cheyenne River, Lower Brule, uh, Crow Creek, and Yankton reservations were removed to marginal lands on the open prairies or were forced to leave the reservation entirely. In either case, they could not reproduce the lives they lived in the lush river bottoms. And in total, the United States took 550 square miles of indigenous lands in an area half the size of Rhode Island from them. During the 19th century, treaty making was deployed as a way to ensure Indian title over land so they could later be ceded to the United States. Darcy McNichol, a flathead scholar and Indian affairs employee at the time of the Pick Sloan Plan, argued that under eminent domain, Indian tribes became categorized as private landowners, against whom the state could proceed. In other words, the identity of an entire indigenous nation became nothing more than a dollar sign. Remember what I was saying when the papal bull established that we had right to private property, not communal ownership? This, this is the precedent. The process in time, McNichol argued can only lead to the extinction of the Indian people. Unlike white farmers and landowners who could easily reproduce their businesses and lifestyles elsewhere, indigenous people and the favorable river environment upon which they depended could not be replaced. This was a cruel reward for those returning from the Second World War. In every war from the First World War to present, indigenous peoples have served and volunteered at rates higher than the U.S. population. The U.S. military has also purposely distorted indigenous warrior culture for its own ends, often enlisting indigenous names and motifs such as the Lakota helicopter or the Tomahawk cruise missile for imperialist endeavors. Natives have served not so much as national minorities, but more often as separate sovereign nations. During World War I, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, for example, independently declared war on Germany in 1917, choosing to send their soldiers to fight for their own nation. They did the same during the World War II, independent declared war on the Axis powers. Initially, Native military service had much to do with the maintenance of indigenous sovereignty, with Native soldiers fighting alongside an empire which they were not citizens. Although widely resisted by indigenous nations, American Indian citizenship would not be granted until 1924. And so much like the barbarians who destroyed Rome, indigenous people maintain a similar yet distinct political position in the U.S. who is the modern version of Rome. As history tends to rhyme, it only makes sense that U.S. barbarians, we savages, will be the downfall of this dying empire. Land back. The Ochete Shekawing held similar views towards military service, maintaining an understanding that the United States, uh, w- with the United States, that their military service was for the protection of their own homelands and nothing more. They understood their service would not require deployment overseas against enemies named by the U.S. Empire that didn't directly threaten indigenous livelihoods. There was an agreement between the U.S. government and the Indian people, uh, Lakota Holy Man. Fool's Crow explained in 1978 regarding Lakota's volunteerism during World War I that they will only fight within their own country in defense 
they send him Lakotas overseas, which is a is contrary to the agreement that was made, and it's something unusual for an Indian to fight in a foreign country. When they come back, they are not the same boys. They drink, they destroy themselves. And even with citizenship at this time, this is my own editorial, this, but even with citizenship, Lakota and other indigenous people didn't even have religious freedom. And it, it, it's still heavily, it was still heavily regulated and very different from what it was even like in the 70s. And we wouldn't experience a full religious freedom as Lakota people, which even then, it's very different, until Bill Clinton. You know, so that's a long time. Yeah, not that long ago. Uh, and before that, Bush, in case you didn't know. <laughs> that is where we are going to end it for this week. We are we are right up at time. Uh, so we will continue our, our context mini detour episode uh, next week, hopefully with an alive David. Uh, an alive and internet functioning David. Uh, but in the meantime, <laughs> this is Mark's Madness Pod, and there are a number of different ways you can reach out to us. Uh, first of which is through email. You can email us, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Uh, if you were wanting to get us on the Hell site on Twitter, our DMs are open, and our tw- Twitter is at marksmadnesspod. Uh, and last but not least, in our Twitter bio is a link to our Discord server, which is where Nathan spends most of his days. Uh, and we're just in there as a community talking, relating stories, you know, empathizing, uh, and and then talking about trashy TV and Final Fantasy fourteen, you know, like you do. The real deep the real deep stuff. Um, so that being said, this is where I kick it over to David to do the disclaimer, and here comes Nathan back with a David mustache on trying to do the disclaimer. Uh, so, when me and David wanted to start this podcast, it was because I, Nathan, an idiot, wanted to read Capital. Uh, and reading Capital is really intimidating if you're an idiot. So, generally speaking, uh, you want to do that in a group. You want to do that with more than one person. So, I found the one person I knew that had read the damn book, and I said, sit down, we're going to read this thing. And then we decided, hey, uh, we have recording equipment. Sit down, uh, we're going to read this thing. Sit down, we're going to read this thing. We've got recording equipment, we're two white guys, what else do you do? You start a podcast, dang it, you record yourself. Because this is how males bond in the years in the years of the now. Uh, but that being said, we were like, alright, cool, we can maybe expand the reading group a little bit if this, if this works out. And we started releasing it, and lo and behold, people liked it, uh, and then you're all here. And so we did expand the reading group, and that's awesome. Um... But that all leads into uh, why we do this. And why we do this is because uh, there is uh, two parts of the equation. There is theory and there is praxis. And praxis is that revolutionary phenomenon when you take your work of theory and you apply it to on-the-ground, active, in-the-field organizing. When you combine those two together and do the thing, boom, you've got praxis. And that's what we're all looking for. Uh, so again, praxis definitionally has to have the theory. They are they are there, and the theory without the praxis is worthless. They can't do anything without each other. You need them both. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Take off my David mustache. Put on my Nathan goatee. Yes, that was great. Uh, that thank you, thank you. Other not definitely not Nathan. <laughs> Uh, that is going to be it for the week. Uh, thank you for listening to Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. Wait, I didn't do my plugs. Oh, shit! Shugmani 2, before you, before you get out of here, do some <laughs> plugs. 
Oh my goodness! No, that was great though to watch. I, I, that was really well done. I was like, man, I hope he doesn't want me to do it because I know I was saying I was taking David's job, but I don't think I could. I, I don't quite remember what he says. I kind of tune out at the end. I'm like, oh, I've heard it a million times, and then I skip. Uh, the next yeah, episode. but he changes it every week. There's a new. It's a riddle. If you put it all together, it leads you to the to the hidden map. What is there a decoder? No, anyway. <laughs> By the Nicholas new March Madness Vans and Turtle Island cross promotional decoder to find out the secret <laughs> coordinates. <laughs> but anyway, um, you can find me on Twitter at Bands Island, I think. Um, but uh, I really need money because the city my dad lives in is trying to find us for some uh, materials we've been collecting for my garden project, which is like a bunch of pallets and uh, water barrels and like uh, you know metal barrels. I don't know, stuff you could break down or turn into other stuff, given the right tools, right? Yeah. Um, and so he lives four hours away from me, so I need to either get a U-Haul or like enough gas to go back and forth a lot in a pickup and hope it doesn't break down yeah. right. But, uh, yeah, so please donate to my cash app, which is uh, Zakata's Tin Can, or my Patreon, uh, where you get to see this garden come together. You'll get to learn from me and all my many garden knowledges and, um, you know, uh, a communist garden channel, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'll start a YouTube. <laughs> but for now, it's Patreon only and then, like, occasional Twitter uh um, what's it called? Uh, advertisements. But otherwise, if you want to re- like uh, support the podcast endeavor, uh, besides you know just my general survival, which is what the Patreon's for, you can pay for some of the tech or um, some of the other organizing efforts the Red Nation is doing by donating to the Red Page, Red Nation Patreon, which is Red Media Press or Red Media PR. Um, I'll get you a link, but <laughs> and that uh, you know that goes towards uh, mutual aid on Pine Ridge, like uh, heating elders' homes during the winter, uh, doing uh, wood drives, um, feeding people in New Mexico, um, you know, do, doing coat drives again, survive the winter. It gets cold. Um, I mean, you know, uh, we uh, a couple of us just went out to uh, Hawaii for this thing called the Deep Ecology Project. They'll be back. Uh, I don't know. They just left today, though, so you know, should be cool. Uh, we were invited, but ooh, hiccups are bad. The Oahu uh, water protectors. Um, uh, other than that, uh, you can also you know support us by buying the Red Deal or. Um, well, you know, you support Nick by buying Our History is the Future, and uh, Nick does worthwhile work and uh, is responsible for the Red Media and the Red Nation existing. So, you know, um, it's pretty cool. And now that he's taken a step back, you know, it's just going without him. You know, he's not on any of these trips. He's uh, trying to trying to be a professor. <laughs> so, you know... There's there's a lot of good going on with you know your donations and you know I really urge you uh, to donate to the Red Nation if you're also donating to me and uh, lastly 
because I have a million plugs always, I'd recommend donating to the Rec Bay Community Relief Fund. You know, if you can give me a dollar, you can give them a dollar, hopefully. It's a GoFundMe. Uh, I'll be starting to GoFundMe for this garden project. Um, uh, we just need some stuff, and, you know, ideally, it, it could feed a lot of people, especially if done right, you know. All right. All right. Well, all of that being said, once again, this is Mark's Madness Pod in collaboration with the Red Nation. We read books. They do all the other important stuff. Uh, my name is Nathan. <laughs> I'm Shomani to David for today. <laughs> and we will talk to you all next week. Actually, I guess we were both Bye. David. Bye.